Welcome to a special edition of That's a Wrap. Uh, I'm Eric Marshall. I'm Nick Schlegel. And Nick and I are doing a special uh, short podcast of The Big Short. <laughs> this is part of our <laughs> this is part of our uh, series of Oscar nominated films for Best Picture in 2015 for the 16 um, award ceremonies. So we're going to hop right in. Well, hey, Nick, do you have any facts about this thing? Yeah, the big short uh, over on Rotten Tomatoes is 88% fresh with an average review of 7.8 out of 10. And the audience score is right almost in line with that at 89%. So it's a solid B plus, A minus sort of area there. It, uh, uh, critics, the consensus, it says the Big Short approaches a serious, complicated subject with an oppressive attention to detail and manages to deliver a well-acted, scathingly funny indictment of its real-life villains in the bargain. And um, I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen a, a fair amount of reviews that have been quite positive towards it. And, I, I, you know, I mean, it's not hard to find, clearly on Rotten Tomatoes or anywhere else, uh, some reviews that didn't like it that much and, and uh, kind of felt that it had some things going against it. So I'll be interested to get your take on it. And uh, I certainly have my own take on it. And that's why we're doing our little mini episode. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just come right out swinging on this one. Um, I think this should be required viewing for every American citizen before the election. <laughs> hey, no, no disagreement from me at all, uh, particularly uh, when uh, you say, yeah, prior, you know, you know, before the before the primaries are over. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because um I don't know about you, but for me, I knew I knew quite a bit about this already. About the well, we should probably talk about what it's about real quick. It's about the um, housing market crash in two thousand seven and eight that precipitated the uh, the banks, you know, the big banks collapsing, and and then the bailout that happened after. The bailout is only mentioned, you know, they don't really treat it too much, right. but it's everything leading up to that uh, to that bailout. Um, I knew, I knew a lot about this already from, um, the movie, um, the inside job, which I think should also be required viewing, uh, for every American citizen and just from, you know, paying attention to the news and stuff. Sure. So, um, so I knew quite a bit about it, but what I didn't know was that there were these people betting on it happening, right. that people saw it coming and, um, just the level of, and, and, and the movie does a great job of explaining some of the instruments that they use and stuff. And we'll have to talk about that, of course. And it goes into depth and does a really good job of um, kind of educating as well as entertaining because it is a very easy watch to, uh, to, a, for, to a large extent anyway. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I My thoughts were um, pretty much, you know, in right in line with yours too. I had um, – uh, done my own fair of, of uh, sort of intellectual curiosity research about the uh, subprime mortgage uh, meltdown and, and um, as best as I could, uh, you know, uh, I would say several notches beyond what the I, I even remember this in the film, sort of like when they make a joke about people learned certain buzzwords so that they didn't sound completely ignorant of what was going on, you know, or mm -hmm. phrases. Uh, I had actually read Neil Ferguson's, the ascent of money um, that summer. 
uh, and I, so I was doing my best to try and wrap my head what was going what, about what was going on. And the film also does a nice job of explaining that the, that you know the that Wall Street, uh, much like the sort of uh, jargon and vocabulary and grammar that goes into legalese. Uh, Wall Street loves to come up with just obscure names for shit to alienate and confuse the average consumer or citizen. And uh, so I really appreciated the film being self-aware of these problems of, of you know, people just sort of educating themselves to have a general understanding of what, what, what happened. And I mean, really basic. Uh, mm-hmm. And the fact that they were great at hiding stuff behind silly phrases and, and um, terms that were really quite dense in some ways. Uh, and of course that becomes one of the films, uh, I think selling points is when they get celebrities to talk to you about these things and break the fourth wall. But, um, so when you say it's required viewing, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I was kind of this along with uh, when we do our Mad Max podcasts, uh, our mini episode, I would say that this and Mad, those two, these two films are the two that I think sort of like cinematically fractured a lot of accepted norms about approaches to screenplay structure and what you can expect in a film, uh, reasonably. Um, not that they're like groundbreaking uh, and revolutionary, but they do play quite a bit with structure. And even like things like protagonists, for example, multiple ta- multiple protagonist films not hard to come by, Eric. But um, you know, we see it all the time. But this one's really bizarre in that, like the Christian Bale and Steve Carell characters are like dueling protagonists. Didn't you? Did you notice that? You know, it's like. Yeah. It's hard to know whose story this is. And um, that was very interesting considering you had two rather large actors filling these important roles because the films revolve, the film revolves around these guys. These are the guys that you said earlier are trying to, well, you know, the Steve Carell character is, is betting against um, the security of these bonds that have been all sort of wrapped together. And Christian Bale He's trying to take insurance policies out against them when they do fail so that he can collect huge sums. And so I, first of all, A, I knew nothing about that like you did. And B, it was hard to know whose story this was. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seemed to me that the Christian Bale character, Michael Burry, he he came up with the idea in the first place of betting against the housing market. Uh, he saw some patterns and like it, I don't know who the, you know, about the real guy, but the way Christian Bale plays this guy, I mean, I, it's, I can't, it's hard for me to find a Christian Bale performance. I don't like, cause I, I think he's such a great chameleon. Um, but you know, he plays this like kind of reclusive, strange, uh, very socially awkward. Well, he's on the spectrum for sure. On the spectrum for sure. A guy who, um, who loves heavy metal, you know, and, uh, and he sees this pattern and he goes to bet against the housing markets. But then, like you said, he also takes out insurance against the very banks that he's doing transactions with because he, he thinks they're going to fail as well. So he sees it coming. I think the Steve Carell character, he caught wind of what Burry was doing, right. did the same thing in essence. Um, you know, at the urging of the Ryan Gosling character, Jared Bennett. And, but then, like you said, after that, they depart, you know, because they're, exactly. they're doing the same thing. Well, they're sort of for, introduced to us in very similar fashion, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. They both have their big sort of like coming out parties in terms of who's the protagonist. Uh, Carell barges into a support group and sort of hijacks the conversation in a very bizarre way. And then 
Carell, excuse me, Christian Bale, we have his introduction too, which is during a interview sequence, right? I mean, I think a guy's trying to interview for the company. It's a very bizarre interview. Um, yeah. And it's so, not even clear at first that that's what's going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they, they each have these huge introductions in the film that signal that one of them is the protagonist, but clearly it's sort of like, it's an event driven film. It's about the meltdown of the protagonist, but uh, we do go sort of oscillate back and forth between these two characters and the individual stories and how they converge. And then there's subplots with other characters that come in that try to ride this wave and you just get more and more ill as the film goes on. The more you find out about how perverse and sick and fraudulent the activities of these people were. And yet nobody, you know, nobody's, um, nobody's paying for it yeah. except for the American tax taxpayer. I mean, when I went into it, the whole, as I said, right when I sat down, I said, well, I paid for this movie, so I'm hoping it's good. And I mean, not only did I pay for it when I paid, bought my ticket, but I, I paid for this, the content of it. We all did. We all bailed wall street out. And, right. um, and they knew we would, that was the thing when that was, they said, well, you know, we're too big to fail. The, the public will, will back us on this. We'll get, we'll get back in there. And, and so I was ill. Eric, as I watched this film, I actually was, I, I might, I had like stomach issues watching the film. It, it was painful to watch it because we've, we'd all been so severely damaged and screwed by this. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, what's more chilling about it is that at the very end of the film, there is a, a you know a text you know a bunch of text that tells you what's going on now, and it says that in 2015, the some of the big banks uh, introduced this other thing, which is basically a fancy term for the CDO, the collateralized debt obligations that they had been doing before uh-huh. that crashed. So whatever what they did to crash the housing market and crash the banks they're doing again right with, now with a different as name. Of 2015 with a different name and then the other chilling thing was that at the very end it says michael burry is now focusing all of his attention on one thing water water yes. yeah water and, and what does that say yeah, what does that say? So I I I agree with you. Like, I mean, it. I, I felt that same sickness inside, the anger, you know, um, the you know, because when the bailout happened, like I know you and I were against it. Um, it it failed the first round, right? Um, in Congress, but you know there is all this rhetoric of too too big to fail. And I mean, people need to see the inside job if they're going to see this as well, just to get a history of that. Sure. But. Um, but I think what the film does well is um, beyond the multiple protagonists, because I think you're right, you have those two guys and you have, um, what's his name, Ryan Gosling. Right. I think that you, you find yourself rooting for Burry, even though he's this kind of weird, misanthropic guy. For sure. Um, uh, I love the scene where he's, he's playing the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's playing the drums for a while and then his wife's like, honey, are you okay? And that's the first indication you have that he even has a wife and it's about two thirds of the way through the film, you know? So he's obviously neglecting his family life, but you kind of root for him. You want him to be right. You know, in the sense of the character. Couldn't agree more. Um, Uh, He's a real, he's a real underdog in the sense that (laughs) we have the, the luxury of hindsight. We know when, what, that, what, see, but that's the thing. The film plays with you a little bit there. We, we know 
and I knew, and I had, I had nudged my friend that I saw the film with that he was going to triumph in the end. That, but right. we, we watch his ascendancy into um, what the shareholders and uh, he's basically the CFO of this company. And mm-hmm. the shareholders want to lynch him because he's uh, sort of like hemorrhaging funds from the company to pay off the insurance premiums. Um, because of these policies that he's taken out. But when when it's clear that they have to pay him, they that's when you find out that the credit rating bureaus are in the back pocket of the yeah. banks. And that probably is the most, the most fury infuriating part of the whole film is that the watchdogs that are supposed to co- cover our, our, our butts for us Mm-hmm. Um, were actually complicit in it because they did not devalue the the ratings of these bonds, which they were supposed right. to be. They were still double and triple A. They weren't junk, and of course, right. this is what they were supposed to be. And that part of the, and of course, that just sent to descend, descends us into further madness. And we're just like, wait a minute, this this whole thing is just is like it's rigged to fail. It's not too big to fail. It's it was rigged to fail. It was rigged to make right. a bunch of people wealthy. Uh, and, and it was like an incredibly very peculiar type type of stupidity because these, these very few people who were, you know, lining their, um, bank accounts and making payments on their, their, you know, their cars and, and their, uh, new swimming pools and their jets and their, their yachts and planes were completely selling out and fucking their own country in the process. Not to mention the domino effect it had, it had internationally, um, right. So getting getting a little bit back to the character, though, yeah. um, like because you're right that the ratings like the, the ratings agencies were paid by the banks. Right. So they weren't going to downgrade anything because they they would the banks would go to their competitor. Right. But I guess like I want to amend. I don't I'm not, I wasn't rooting for Christian Bale in the sense like I wanted the banks to fail. But you're right. They do mess with you because we know what happens. Right. Sure. But there is the there is this implicit danger perhaps that he's not going to get paid right? because of the rampant fraud that's going on. And so you feel kind of bad for him and you're rooting for him in that sense, you know, and then going to the Steve Carell character, I feel like he's more the moral center. He's the guy he's because Burrell, uh, Burrell, what's his name? Uh, the Burry, he's uh, doing it because he wants to make a profit and he wants to be right. And he is right. Mm-hmm. But the Steve Carell character is doing it because he has the same moral outrage that you're um, expressing right now. You know, he is like, well, that's the banks. Right. Exactly. Because at the beginning of the film, he's talking about, well, you know, this guy was charging all these service fees to the customers. I I kicked him out of the meeting, man. You know, like he's you know, you get from the very first five minutes that he is, you know, he hates the banks. He hates people who try to rip people off. He's, you know, got a good bullshit detector. And so he's doing it for the moral reason of, you know, he want he, he doesn't want people to get fucked over, you know, and he holds on for a very long time to the bets, to the position that he has, because he feels like he'll be complicit himself. Sure. If he sells, well, he also you know, so. he's worried about his own tone deafness to the situations because of his, mm-hmm. his brother's suicide, which he felt that there was signals that he might have been a little bit more um, tuned into uh, had he not been so occupied with Wall Street and making money and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this right. seems to be one of the centers of of his moral quandary here. 
And you're yeah. right. Yeah. I think one of my favorite sequences in the film is when he goes to Vegas and meets these unbelievable douchebags who, um, <laughs> who, who take selling the, selling their souls to the devil to like a whole new level. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I, I like the mobility in the film. I like the fact that there's traveling going on to these conventions and to these conferences. I love it when he sends his two guys down to Florida to these homes that have all been sort of like deserted. You see the moldy bread in there and stuff. And they're like, it's real. It's real. And they're talking to a girl who's um, stripping for them. And she's got like three mortgages on three different houses or something like that. You remember that? Five houses. Five yeah, houses five. or something like that. Yeah. I was like, you know, I mean, it was, it was a, um, it's just an unusual film. It's sort of like spotlight. That's like the spotlight portion of the film, you know, where they're going out and doing their investigative reporting. Yeah. It made it feel a lot more real, you know, whether that actually happened or not, it made it feel to the viewer. Probably in a lot the book. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it some credibility. I haven't fact checked it, but I, it's, you know, yeah. I, I'm guessing it's probably in the book. I think McKay was pretty, um, pretty literal. I wouldn't, well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't assume that, but you know, if it's in there, it's in there. If it's not it's that, but for the viewer of the film, it um, you know, it lends some credibility. And I want to talk about the um, not the fact that it's an not just the fact that it's an adaptation, but also the fact that Adam McKay directed it, and the fact that there are points at which they do take license, but they point it out, which actually adds to the credibility that you're talking about, right? Yeah, I think so. Because there are times where like uh, Ryan Gosling will look at the camera and be like, this didn't happen like this. Uh, a very close um, uh, online friend of mine, uh, my friend Kimberly, who's a wonderful um, critic. She's sort of like my cinematic twin. We have unbelievable, unbelievably similar tastes. She she took the film to task in a in a sort of year in review and called it like badly written episode of Sesame Street, complete with celebrity guest stars that spoon fed adults data about the crisis and so on. And she really disliked this film um, and uh, it, it just thought it was really bad cinema, uh, no matter how earnest its message might be. But you know, I, respectfully, I just that that and I and I've come across some other critics. Uh, or reviews, I should say, that felt the same way. But I—that's—that's that's not my sense at all, really. I—I—I I, I, I felt that um, from an aesthetic standpoint, the film was unlike a traditional film in this sense, and that the fact that it took a almost satiric look at it, it was almost necessitated by the sheer like lunacy and idiocy of the acts being committed in this this faulty narrative of 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 actually what happened. So for them to take, you know, there's a lot of different stylistic approaches you can take with this material. I think McKay actually was really well suited to make this film. And I'm, I'm glad he did. And I think, yeah. I think it, it's a wonderful experiment that for me really works. Uh, for some people it didn't, it felt like, yeah, like she said, maybe a Sesame street video, but I, I, you know, I didn't get that. That wasn't well, my think, sense at all. Well, think about it. You, your task is to you're trying to explain to people what a collateralized debt obligation is <laughs> or what like you know all these like financial instruments that even i i would imagine some economists don't really have maybe uh, their head around maybe the well, economists might but uh you know what i mean so it doesn't skirt instead of skirting the issue and being like oh they just did this thing they said look they they use these instruments and they name them and they do this and the way they explain it is you know they have a supermodel or a model come in in a hot tub and explain cdos and they have uh anthony bourdain come in and and 
explain. I can't remember the name of it now, where they package all the mortgages together. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's this the is beauty. extremely. It's, it's this is extremely. Genius. This is extremely complex stuff that they're trying, in good faith, I think, to explain to an audience, and it's stuff that was intentionally obscure like it was meant to be hidden so people didn't understand it so they didn't pay attention to it so to say it's like sesame street i don't get that at all like what do you expect do you want to listen to 30 minutes of a of a of economist lecture in a, in a lecture hall over this i mean i think that the balance is right now i think the choice of adam mckay is interesting because i was that's the one thing i was worried about yeah was that no, i think we all were because, yeah because i anchorman's fine Deladega Nights is funny. Anchorman Two was a hunk of steaming shit <laughs> with 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 subpar performances and the editing. Like they must have fired the editor because it just like just ugh, ugh, you know. And I kind of lost trust for him with Anchorman Two, but he did a. I think he did a great job with this. Well, as yeah. as educators, I mean, you and I have a um, a point of view on this. That, that that a lot of people probably don't unless they're in a classroom and they've got, you know, 70 students looking at them, which is a, a lot of times you want to be able to get across your points where people, you know, get their bread and butter. And so, I mean, the majority of, 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 of the people in, in the world, and in particular in the United States, get their information from the mass media, the sort of vulgar outlets that are constantly bombarding us with information how true it is, is an, or how much of it's bullshit is a whole nother issue. So why not get, um, you know, the supermodel? Why not get Anthony Bourdain? Why not have, um, oh, what's her name? I can't think of her name right now from the, the Disney musicals. Uh, was she, She's in the Vegas scene, I think. Or, or no, not uh, Selena Disney. Gomez. Yeah, Selena, Selena Gomez. Gomez. Right, yeah. yeah. Why not have Selena Gomez talk to I mean, this is basically, I mean, that those are your pop culture icons. Uh, they're, they, they get their sort of information and entertainment from these people in the first place. Why not cast a familiar icon to talk to them about something far more important than sushi or far more important than whatever Selena Gomez's show was? Wasn't she about uh, witchcraft or something? Or I don't I know. So, yeah. I'm a little, I, that's not my, I'm not the demographic. Yeah. I, I, I'm. Right. I don't. But that's but that's kind of the point, isn't it, Nick? That we're not the demographic for that, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) They're aiming at a demographic who either is too young to remember this, is too uninvolved to understand it, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I don't think that McKay thinks by casting them there'll be a political revolution about money. But I but I do think that he that he thinks that. It's a not only a, a, a a clever novelty, but he thinks that it's probably going to resonate better. You know, by yeah. breaking the fourth wall and having some, you know, popular celebrities talk to you about this, these, these, like yeah. you said, insanely dense concepts that even yeah. economists go, wait a minute, say that to me again, you know? Right. Uh, in exactly. fact, that's that whole Vegas scene. Steve Krell, that guy's explaining to him how, like, th- this thing, and he's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. If you came to me with this <laughs> assignment and you're like, here, you, I want you to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Based on this book about the crisis, I I'd have that'd be a headache, man. That this would be a difficult really screenplay tough. to write, you know. And I think they've hit the right thing because they focus on people that you can root for mm-hmm. rather than the the actual people who were defrauding the American public. They f- they focus on some people who had seen it coming and explain it to you as celebrities. So I mean, that's kind <laughs> of the, the the whole entire ball game, the shooting gallery of cultivation, of like Gerbner's cultivation theory, right? Which is just basically says, look, 
from the age of Sesame Street, the media's got you, you know, and, and they cultivate a very, very long relationship with you. And, and it's incredible. It's, in, it's so pervasive. We're not even aware of how, how much it, a part of our lives it is so that the film would sort of like leverage that. Yeah. And, and, and put it to great utility or utilitarian sort of uh, point of view is a, is a real, I think like a little, a coup and in, in, in many ways. Yeah. And I found it's it very, Really, it's very canny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, very canny, and and just um, successful is the word I would use. Successful. I didn't find I wasn't like turned off by it, and I and I wasn't like oh how cute and how clever. It just seemed to it it seemed like it was a smart thing to do. You're already getting some really powerful performances from Carell and Bale and so yeah. on. So those little moments of levity, I think, were kind of needed. That's where Adam McKay was a, a good choice here because. Um, I felt sick when the film was over. I mean, that's yeah. uh, bottom line is I felt yeah. like I really wanted to go throw up. I'm, 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 not, I'm not kidding. I mean, I really did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get it, man. I, you know, I, I'm curious to see what people who are politically unaffiliated or even conservative, um, or people who have no prior knowledge of this, I wonder how those types of people will respond to this film. Because you and I, we're you know we're progressive. We have you know kind of similar ideologies. We already knew a little bit about this. We were already angry about it, you know. So it, it kind of just stokes that mm-hmm. you know kind of pre-existing sort of thing. But I'm curious as to like a conservative or actually I shouldn't even say conservative because the people who oppose the the bailout in the first place was this unlikely coalition of of far left you know elizabeth warren types Mm -hmm. and far right like libertarians who were like hey man you know free market let them fail you know so it was this weird coalition so i shouldn't even say conservative but just people who are uh, unaffiliated or don't have a strong opinion in the first place i think those types of you know people who who don't know much about it in the first place i think will get a lot out of this film and will enjoy this film enjoy it and learn something from it and i think that's a like you said, a coup. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we're in total agreement on that. And um, I, I felt it was definitely, it's a unique year for, for Oscar nominees in the best picture category. They're all so different from each other. And, yeah, which, uh, you know, which I, we'll probably go into great detail on when we do the, or, you know, our full um, Oscar episode, because I want to, I have a lot to say about that. Actually. Yeah, there's an incredible yeah. amount of, of, of diversity and subject matter uh, with the yeah. eight pictures no doubt. that have been and nominated. Style. What's that? Yeah. Well, at least and on style. the surface, you know, they're all very much yeah. about very different things. Um, oh, yeah. And we'll have a good time talking about that. I mean, each one is sort of like very removed from the next. And that's not always the case. There's yeah. always been a certain amount of, of uh, bias and prejudice towards like a few genres, like dramas, obviously, or epics or biopics and things like that. Those are always popular. Sure. And yeah. you've got a really interesting uh, sort of array of subject matter in these films. And yeah. and this one is, yeah, this one is, is you know... <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm a big fan, and and of course that's the, yeah. the problem with all the films we're going to talk about. When we get to the end of each po- little mini podcast, I'm going to say I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of the film because I yeah I am sure yeah I, I get that yeah um and like I said I'll, I'll when we do the the full episode we can talk we can compare the films mm-hmm. for sure but this film I I just thought I, I it blew me away it really blew me away so I guess that's 
<laughs> that's the bottom line for me, really, right. to be honest with you. So cool. Cool, cool. Well, cool. Um, thanks for listening to our mini episode on the big short. Uh, if you'd like to support our efforts, you can go to patreon.com slash that's a wrap. Uh, you can find show notes at that's a wrap show.com wrap with a W. Um, and please listen to the other episodes. We're doing, uh, eight episodes, uh, of about the same length as this one on each of the uh, best picture nominees. And we're going to do a full episode on the, uh, on the Oscars before the, uh, award ceremony is aired. So stay tuned. Check us out on iTunes. See you later. I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Cut. That's a wrap. Thank mm-hmm. you.